This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. One of the mayor's chief responsibilities is the preparation of the city's budget. Each June, the mayor presents the budget proposal to city council. The council may pass, amend, or reject the proposal before the final budget takes effect in July. This year, Mayor Kelly proposed a temporary extension of the current spending levels in order to have more time to write a new budget. His new proposal is now ready and has been submitted to the city council. They are expected to have their first vote on September 7th. You can view the proposal by visiting budget.chattanooga.gov. I encourage you to look it over and contact your council representative with any questions or concerns you might have. To learn more about the budget, I spoke once again with Joda Tongnapnua, the mayor's chief of policy. I'm here with Joda Tongnapnua to discuss the mayor's recent budget proposal for the 2022 fiscal year. Joda, thanks for coming back on the show to talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for letting me back on. I was just hoping you could uh, just walk us through just very generally what this year's budget looks like, what the process of writing it looked like. And I know uh, the mayor has talked about a strategic framework that was used yeah. to put this together. So if you could just spend a couple minutes talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on our end, we started with a couple of guiding principles, one that we really wanted to be working towards um, sustainable, lasting solutions. And um, we wanted to make sure that we were really digging into the couch cushions to make sure we were stewarding taxpayer dollars well. Um, and we also wanted to make sure that we were resolving some of the challenges that we saw that were structurally problematic within the previous budget. And so um, in addition to a number of bigger strategic priorities like ensuring we're rebuilding the black middle class or um, you know that we are building a competitive regional economy for every Chattanooga. Um, we also uh, were working on some of the things that uh, for regular everyday Chattanoogans we know were important basics and foundational items that needed to be done, like making sure we had enough staff to pick up recycling, um, to make sure that uh, we had enough police officers and firefighters um, to provide essential services and, and first responder services to our residents. And so all of that together, I think, informed this budget. We had a significantly shorter time period to put this budget together than um, we will next year uh, or right. that a, a traditional administration would. We had just a couple of months. And so what you've seen is um, us addressing some of those major problems, trying to keep the tax rate as low as possible while also providing the services that our residents um, deserve and have come to expect. Great. Uh, so I want to back up for a second and talk. You mentioned uh, property taxes and, and taxes in general being used to pay for the budget. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to just walk through you know, there's a total increase in spending this year being proposed of about 59 million compared to last year. Yeah. So again, taxes being kept as low as possible. What are the some of the other ways that uh, this this increase of, of 59 million dollars is being paid for? Yeah, and that number is a little misleading because again, we've had some um, we had a surplus because of the previous year. We didn't spend as much as we uh, thought we were. Um, uh, or we didn't budget for as much revenue as we, we, we actually ended up getting because we budgeted fairly conservatively. The previous administration correctly, um, you know, was, was, uh, 
a little tighter, uh, like a lot mm -hmm. of families were during COVID. And, you know, our sales tax revenue, though, stayed competitive and actually higher than we anticipated. And we're getting record amounts of sales tax, um, although property taxes still make up the majority of our revenues. And, um, you know, as we uh, went into the this year, uh, this fiscal year 22, we did transfer um, some of that surplus into our capital budget while still making sure we had enough reserve uh, to actually capture the right amount of rainy day fund. I think we're supposed to have 20% um, you know, of our annual expenses uh, in our rainy day fund, and uh, we're at about 25%, so I think we're in a really good spot. Um, but we were able to transfer that surplus over to capital investments like our record amount of investment into paving, um, which is... Uh, uh, at $10 million now and some other major capital investments and priorities. And so that spending number number actually looks a lot higher than um, what the actual increase in revenue that we're getting is from um, essentially capturing growth uh, for our uh, by keeping the property tax rate higher than what the certified tax rate w came in at. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, bluntly, uh, as the assessor of property has, uh, you know, we do assessments from, from you know, periodically, and a lot of people's um, uh, property assessments uh, increased because we are uh, growing as a, a real estate market. And so that means a lot of people's homes and properties are worth more than they were, you know, just a few short years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, there's something called the certified tax rate, which, uh, you know, if we chose not to uh, 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 increase that rate above that, that would essentially keep everything the same. So we would receive the same amount of revenue from property taxes that we were receiving before. So we would go from $2.27 per $100 of assessed value down to, I think it was 185 was the new certified tax rate. We chose to hold that rate or actually cut it just a little bit. So from 227 to 225, because that was the lowest rate that we could have in order to also meet our um, needs in terms of being able to retain uh, police officers, firefighters, and essential public works staff. Um, and so what we did is we made a significant investment into pay uh, for people like firefighters and police officers. Our firefighters were making in the low 30s um, and 30,000s as their starting salary, and this will move them up to being competitive. Um, you know, we had t uh, firefighters making you know, $10 and 12 cents an hour, which wasn't sustainable. We had um, uh, academies and, and uh, classes for uh, these first responders that were not being filled. We were losing officers at a higher rate than that we were bringing them in in academies. And that was ultimately leading to longer response times. Um, and it was also, you know, potentially a real a public safety uh, danger. And so um, what you see in our uh budget is really about a $30 million revenue bump um, that we are going to get from that growth, capturing that growth in property taxes. Um, and every single cent of that $30 million is going towards uh, uh, an increase of about 24% for uh, police officers, 24% pay increase for firefighters, and then um, a, a fairly large bump for uh, city employees, um, like public works as well, although those are a little different. They're not a standard across the board raise. Um, we're actually regrading those to be more in line with what our um, regional peers are paying and then also uh, what the market is paying. So that way we can actually attract things like truck drivers to actually drive our recycling vehicles. So those are some of the things that uh, went into this budget process. But every amount of extra revenue that we're getting from property taxes is going into compensation to pay our first responders and public works employees.
Right. So there's a lot of things that you just talked about there that I want to dive into in a little bit more detail, but I want to spend a little bit more time, high level, uh, very broad question. Yep. Can you walk our listeners through the difference between the operating budget and the capital budget and where yep. the funding comes from each of those? Absolutely, I can. So um, funding for the general fund capital budget is actually usually made up of a combination of cash on hand, um, as well as some internal operating funds, uh, debt, so like bond issuance, um, some state funding that we get. So we get uh, state grants and street aid. Um, external funding also varies, so like one-time grants for from the federal government or um, from the state uh, through things like the Transportation Planning Organization. Um, and then funding for our um, operating funding, uh, our operational budget, tends to come from uh, property taxes, sales taxes, fees, permit costs, those kinds of things. So uh, the way that I think about it is that our capital costs tend to fund like one-time or multi-year expenses that have like an mm -hmm. end date, whereas our operational budget tends to fund ongoing operations. So when we go and build uh, uh, or re resurface a bunch of roads, that is a capital project. Or if we're building a building, that's a capital project will come out of the capital budget, where as an operating budget is going to pay for, you know, uh, the... 80% of what our operating budget goes towards our salaries. So that's how we deliver services is through people, um, which is why this compensation investment was so important. Right. Great. Well, thank you for that explanation. Uh, so I want to talk about some of the things that we mentioned earlier. We started talking about the property taxes. You mentioned the difference between the certified tax rate and the uh, proposed new tax rate, which is going to be slightly lower than it has been, but again, higher than that new certified tax rate, which took into account the increase in property values. That's right. Um, so that's going to be affecting a lot of people pretty directly in terms of the, the tax bill that they see. You know, the percentage yeah. is staying the same, but maybe their actual tax bill is going up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I noticed City has a new tool to kind of view that. Could you could you talk about that tool for a minute and yeah, just so tell our have... listeners how to access it? Yeah, absolutely. So we have an open budget dashboard where folks can go and look at the details of our budget, but they also um, can enter their address and figure out um, exactly how much more they might be paying if their property values have risen. Um, just uh, for a, a point of um, clarification, so if we're if your house is worth one hundred and seventy five thousand uh, dollars, you'd be paying essentially um, an additional. Uh, $199 a year um, uh, from what you were paying previously. Um, and so there's a, an addition of about $200 um, added to your bill. And, and that's, uh, you know, real, it's a real cost for our residents. And that's something that we took into consideration. We didn't take any of these steps lightly. Um, but when the mayor looked at what was urgently necessary for our city and what was best um, for our community in terms of the long-term priorities we were pursuing, but also some of the immediate short-term needs around first responders, police officer pay, firefighter pay, um, we basically said that we were going to make uh, those investments because that's what our residents expect. Um, and uh, we, we have some other strategic priorities that we made some cuts in order to pay for. Um, and uh, But... but all 30 million 
uh, extra dollars that are coming into city government due to that extra growth and property values is going towards compensation. And so you can go and look at that on the uh, open budget dashboard. Um, and I'm sure you'll be able to provide links uh, on the podcast. Um, so folks can go and look that up. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I'd say that whenever you look at the average cost for most um, residents is going to be just about the price of Netflix every month, um, which again, isn't insignificant, but we do think it is a really great value add for the the residents of Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. And so we've got that tool where people can go and and look at kind of the impact of their property taxes that's being proposed. And then you also mentioned the open budget portal, uh, which is a really great tool where you can kind of see the budget broken down into different line items. You can click through it and and it has a bunch of really handy graphs. So again, links to all that will be in the show notes. Uh, I do want to ask kind of dialing down into some more specific questions here. The budget, like you've talked about, proposes some pretty significant pay increases across mm-hmm. the board, uh, most notably for fire and police yep. are seeing, you know, 23, 24% increases. And then an average, uh, I think it was 18% increase for a lot of city employees. Uh, and that's a little was... complicated too, because right. uh, for, for general fund employees, we have pay increases ranging from 5% up to 45 percent um and really all i I would see those as market corrections right so we had cdl drivers making you know something in order of uh uh 40 50 percent less than what the market was paying them and so we really had 32 um uh vacancies for our our our, uh recycling drivers and and uh waste truck uh, waste truck drivers um and so if you had a cdl in chattanooga you could be making sixty five thousand dollars a year and we were offering you know somewhere in the 30s um it made it really difficult to hire and we've kind of taken that approach with a uh, we had a pay study where we looked and really pegged uh compensation for every single city employee and then paired it against what were uh, a handful of other cities, I think something like 22 different pure cities, um, what were they paying? And so that way we could measure ourselves against, um, you know, cities that we were realistically competing with um, and then essentially benchmark those uh, pay grade increases to the market. Um, right. And so whereas the police and fire pay structure was uh, 24% across the board with some small exceptions for command staff. Right. So that's a very good clarification. Uh, you know, it's, I say 18% on average for say employees, but like you said, some more well-paid employees are getting small bumps and then some chronically underpaid employees are getting much larger bumps. So we can be competitive with other cities. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that I noticed while going through the open budget myself is that, uh, we're seeing pretty significant spending increases for police and fire, at least for salaries. But the uh, the line item that is on the open budget portal is almost exactly the same as sure. it was for last year for police, and it's it's a little bit higher for fire, yep. but definitely doesn't really take into account that pay increase. So can you explain yep. that discrepancy? Yeah, absolutely. And- so we are still implementing the pay plan uh, into uh, the individual departments, and um, whether they be police, fire, or public works, or um, city planning, what have you. And so that work is still ongoing. Um, we know the total cost of the um, the overall uh, 
pay plan that we are implementing, but we we don't exactly know where literally all of our 2,600 employees are going to be placed within that pay plan. So what we actually have done is that we have included a contingency line item where all of the total cost for that uh, pay increase sits. So you'll see a contingency line item that includes the 30 million extra dollars that we're putting towards compensation, and they have not been reflected in the individual departments yet because we don't actually know um, or we're very close and we're working that out um, about where individual employees are graded within the um, within the department. So we can't actually yet reflect exactly how the compensation structure will affect the uh, the total department um, amount. We're, again, still working on that, but that that is what the discrepancy that you're seeing. You'll see the overall budget impact and the contingency line item, but the, other, the individual departments won't see those updated numbers until we get um, the certified annual financial report later in the year. Okay, so it's its own category just for pay raises. It hasn't been split between police, fire, and all the other departments. So we should see those broken out later in the year. Yeah, it's something Um, we call the CAFR, um, and we release those periodically. And so this year we'll release a certified annual financial report, and you'll be able to see the updated numbers for each department. Okay, great. Uh, One thing, you know, we're talking about police. Uh, Police constitutes, police spending constitutes about 24% of the total budget. And that makes the police department the largest single recipient of funds far and away, pretty much. I think uh, fire was sitting uh, a little bit below 20 as the next highest. Um, How how does that kind of spending, uh, you know, almost a quarter of the budget fit into the administration's strategic framework? And, you know, how did last year's protests and, you know, the broader conversation around policing tie into that? Yeah. So, you know, it's a complicated question. I think that uh, one of the things that the mayor outlined very clearly was that uh, whenever you pick up the phone and you call 911, you expect somebody to show up, somebody to answer the phone, somebody to be dispatched to you. And, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we have um, the resources in place to be able to do that. And that's where we were falling behind our, our peer cities, mm-hmm. right? I think that regardless of our politics, we do generally expect in an emergency that our city is going to be able to respond and have the staff to do that. Um, what we have also invested in is that we uh, were reduced the overall number of um, budgeted police officer positions by 25 positions. Um, and these were positions that were historically vacant, that they would sit in our budget, and those were dollars that we couldn't touch. And we actually have never been able to reach that 500 number um, over the last five years or so. So these were positions that historically have just sat um, empty. And so we felt that we could use those dollars more wisely. Um, And so we, uh, yes, are increasing compensation for police officers to make sure that we're retaining the best and brightest um, and making sure that we're training people correctly and that we're able to get people who um, are not at the bottom of the barrel, but rather uh, are are competitive applicants that are going to serve our residents. But then uh, following that, we are taking the dollars that we – uh, would save by cutting um, 25 budgeted positions from the police department. And we are uh, investing that in a crisis response team, um, which is going to be 10 social workers uh, with a master's of social worker or a similar counseling background with case management experience um, and uh, pairing them with a, a director. And they will be uh, initially beginning to do co-response with our police department. So we know that police officers aren't always the um, 
the, the, the most qualified people to respond to a mental health crisis. And I think they would be the first to admit, you know, I'm not always prepared or trained uh, for some of these uh, call types, but we've expected far too much from our police department. And that's a reflection of what you see of our investment in our crisis response team. And, you know, this is something that has been talked about in our national dialogue since George Floyd last summer um, is the need for investing in these kinds of mental health resources for making sure that if somebody is um, you know, as simple trespassing because they are experiencing homelessness or if they are um, having a mental health crisis or experiencing mental duress or even, you know, some non-pressing uh, medical emergencies or rather I should say there, there are medical issues that aren't needing an ambulance. Um, mm -hmm. These are kinds of uh, uh, responses that we can actually begin to to direct this crisis response team to. And this is similar to a model that we found um, in both, uh, um, I, I believe it was uh, Austin, Texas, but it may be Dallas. I, uh, I'll go back to go back and double check, but then also in Eugene, Oregon with the CAHOOTS mm -hmm. model. Um, and these models actually not only um, have redirected significant percentages of calls uh, that were originally going to police to this crisis response team. Um, so like in some cases, like upwards of 30% of their call volume mm -hmm. would be redirected. Uh, but they're also saving money because uh, some of these call types can be extremely time intensive. They can be uh, a real uh, uh, challenge because a lot of times the, the police officer doesn't know who to direct them to and spends a lot of time kind of calling back and forth to different services. Um, or it unfortunately often ends in an arrest, um, which is not the ideal outcome for some of these call types. And then um, that means they're not getting to some other calls that are coming in that actually really do need a police officer. Um, and so the uh, city of Eugene, Oregon, saw that they saved about eight and a half million dollars um, by investing in a crisis response team that cost them just two million. Um, and so with this million dollar investment, um, we're really excited uh, about the possibility of having an alternative response model um, that eventually will be, uh, we, we hope and believe, um, really leads the nation. And we're going to be engaging the community in the process of um, uh, helping build and shape that. Now, on other, uh, on some of these other departments like firefighters, you know, one of the things that we are really critically looking at is response times. We want a five minute or less response time. And unfortunately, we're 30, 45 seconds ahead of that. I um, mean, COVID's had an impact on that, right? Like our, our response time during COVID has had a real challenge, but also um, the staffing shortages have really led to increased response times. And, you know, for every second, and I'm not being uh, dramatic, but every second that a fire truck is not able to show up to a car wreck or to a... Um, a burning building. Um, these are, you know, possible seconds where lives could be lost, and so we take it really seriously. And and uh, you, you sort of see that in the investment that we've made to make sure that our first responders are paid uh, well enough to be competitive uh, to retain and attract um, high quality employees. Right. So I want to kind of hone in on that idea of you know attracting the best employees, being able to retain the best employees. I know one issue that we've had lately is that recycling had to be cut due to a lack of CDL drivers. Um, and I'm wondering what is kind of the timeline do you think that's going to, how long do you think these pay increases are gonna to have to take to be competitive and bring us back to a point where things like recycling come back, where you know maybe our police staffing gets better and our fire staffing gets better in response times what what's kind of lag time that that y'all are anticipating on that because it's not going to be you know we offer higher salaries and suddenly a switch gets flipped 
Right. I, I think um, in, in some cases, no. Uh, in other cases, we've done some of the planning um, to in advertising to make sure that it is as quick as possible. So in the case of recycling, I know a lot of people are frustrated with uh, filled blue bins that are sitting on the on the curb. Um, and we appreciate that and, and are, are, are doing a lot of work to make sure that we can get that service restored as quickly as possible. It's our intention to have service restored, if possible, by October 1st. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's why we went ahead and announced the uh, increase that our budget proposed to CDL drivers that will be um, retroactive to July 1st. So any employee that joins the city uh, before that, uh, the, the date of uh, our budget passing and mm-hmm. um, uh, is able to you know, start training and, and uh, learning how to drive our recycling or garbage trucks, um, they'll receive a backdated uh, pay raise dating back to their date of hire. Um, and so we actually have had, uh, last I checked, like 117 applicants uh, for CDL drivers since we announced that pay increase. So uh, we have 32 vacancies. We're hopeful that this will be a real um, uh, solution and boon to being able to get those trucks back on the road. Um, the mayor has also announced that he's uh, um, really looking at an wholesale uh, strategic planning reboot of our recycling program to make sure that um, residents are actually getting what they think they're getting when they right. stick uh, recycling materials into those blue bins. Um, uh, from a, a fire and police standpoint, um, we are kind of bound by the academy training timeline. Um, so mm-hmm. in some cases, it may be um, towards the middle of next year or the beginning of next year um, for some of those call response times to go down um, because that's how long it takes to fill an academy, train them, and then get them on the streets or on a truck. Right. Great. Uh, another thing that you've mentioned is that uh, road paving is seeing a pretty significant increase, uh, about 58% higher than last year, $10 million in total. Um, Construction costs have also risen pretty considerably over the past year. And I'm just curious what the administration expects in terms of mile per mile. You know, we're seeing a 58% increase in spending, but what might that look like in terms of actual paving getting done? Yep. Um, So uh, we have yet to fully calculate the lane miles for this year's paving, but this is a record investment in a single year investment into paving. And so $10 million um, for resurfacing, plus we have some you know specific road projects on top of that, so that number even increases. Um, we've reviewed the construction costs in some of our uh, latest bids, and w- although construction costs have gone up for putting things up like a house, um, they haven't gone up too much for repaving roads. Um, so we anticipate uh, an increase in lane mileage paving um, pretty close to what the increase in investment is going to be. So um, maybe some some loss. So I, I imagine that uh, residents could expect a 40 to 45% increase in lane mileage paving with a 58% increase in investment. So um, we're, we're excited. We'll be able to pave more roads than ever before. That's kind of the bottom line. Um, and we're not stopping there. You know, we're going to, uh, we're really watching carefully with this additional investment from the federal government as the infrastructure bill makes its way through Congress, which the the mayor has supported. Um, And we uh, are are excited about the possibility of uh, bringing a paving machine to a a street near you. Awesome. And then in in this budget, as in past years, there's a number of grants to non-governmental nonprofit entities, Mm -hmm. ranging from $10,000 for the Chattanooga Goodwill Industries to nearly a million dollars for the Signal Center. Um, I'm just curious, one of our listeners asked about this, how does the appropriations process work for these nonprofits, both in terms of who gets the awards and also, you know, what is that amount that gets awarded? 
Yeah. So um, we are changing it. Uh, is the uh, this, I'll start there um, because I, I think it affects the, the way that uh, I answer this question. So previously, uh, because we had a short period of time to really uh, put this budget together, we used the process from the previous administration, which is called budgeting for outcomes, um, which you had scoring based off of um, some priorities. So there was a set of recommendations that the previous administration made, and we modified that. We actually cut $1.2 million out of agency funding to in order to make sure that we had enough um, funding to fund our compensation plan to fund some of our key priorities. Um, but uh, we really took a look at uh, the agencies that you know were recommended, and we we went through and cut some of the ones that we felt like um, weren't necessarily in line with uh, the services that uh, we expect government to provide, or we felt like we're redundant with services that we were providing through the city, or we felt like we were going to be able to get to with our American recovery dollars that is coming down the pipe a little bit later that will be handled through a separate process. Um, so we had a number of factors that we were looking at for agencies. Uh, next year, we will have a streamlined application process that folks can apply to for their agencies. We will benchmark them against our priorities. We are releasing a total, uh, we're, we are releasing a, a complete strategic framework, um, that details, you know, seven key goals for this administration or across nearly 40 initiatives. And we're going to be kind of crosswalking those to, um, agency requests and making sure that they fit with our goals as a city. Um, you know, I, I am excited about, and, and, uh, uh, not only, um, grateful for the fact, but we are, uh, you know, it's an important factor in the way that we think about agency funding and that we live in one of the most philanthropically uh, generous communities in the country. We have more foundation dollars and more um, donations than many other communities do. Um, and so we have to be really thoughtful how we spend taxpayer dollars um, and really thinking through, are we the best funder that, for this or are we, um, you know, potentially a, a good partner, but maybe funding ought to come from some of our philanthropic partners. Um, so those are things that we're, we're thinking about uh, whenever we assemble our agency list. Um, it's tough, to be honest, to cut um, agency dollars, uh, but we are, are um, uh, taking it seriously, and um, we're going to have a process next year that I think makes a lot more sense. And you mentioned a, a full strategic framework being released. Is there a timeline for that? Yeah, in the next couple of weeks, I anticipate being able to, to be able to release that. We're working on final draft and just polishing up language now. Okay, great. I want to zoom back out a little bit and talk about uh, kind of just the timeline for public input and city council and uh, when this budget might get passed. Uh, so, so when does this go to the floor for the city council for their first vote? So the first vote for this will be September 7th, uh, if our schedule holds. Um, you know, that's kind of up to city council to determine whenever they are going to hold their first, first vote. But we anticipate September 7th and then final reading on September 14th. Okay, great. And then I'm sure there have been uh, conversations. I know there's a presentation. This was presented a couple of weeks ago to the city mm -hmm. council. Uh, I've heard about a couple educational meetings that have been held. Can you tell us more about the process that's being used to educate the city council members on this budget and answer yeah. their questions? So yes, uh, our budget uh, chairwoman, um, uh, Councilwoman per Carol Burrs really led a really efficient budget process. So um, we uh, made a presentation to council um, in early August, and then over the last these last few weeks, we've been um, holding budget education sessions, um, and residents can go back and on our city website go back and watch those. Um, 
And uh, those have been great. We've answered lots of questions from council members um, across every department. And so we've wrapped up our education process for both the operating and capital budget. Uh, our staff has actually, actually also attended um, some community meetings that individual council members have held in their uh, districts as well. So I attended one in District 2, I believe, uh, that's Councilwoman Hill's district, and then um, uh, Councilwoman Coonrod held one in her district as well, and uh, city staff were present for those. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited to move forward with our budget, and um, uh, we're, we're urging uh, uh, Council to pass it, and uh, we're e eager to get the work uh, kind of prioritized now. Like once we get out of budget season, that's when the, the, the important work really starts. Right. And I guess one last question, I, you know, I'm not going to hold you to this answer because it's obviously something that you don't have control over, but just in your meetings with the city council, what's your gut feeling for getting this budget passed, especially with the, uh, again, you know, it's not a percentage increase in property taxes, but it is a, a dollar for dollar increase in property taxes for a lot of people. Um, so just what's your general feeling for, for how this budget is going to go through the process? Yeah, I, I've been really encouraged that uh, council members have been taking this decision um, really seriously, and they put a lot of thought into it. Um, I'm not going to uh, speculate about exactly what number, but we feel good that the budget will pass um, with uh, strong support from council. Um, we, I think, have taken the time to really listen, and um, I think we've reached a better budget because of it, um, and uh, we anticipate that um, we'll have a budget that uh, is aligned with the mayor's priorities and with council's priorities, and we'll be able to go get good things done for the city of Chattanooga. Great. Well, again, Joda Tongamnua, thank you for sitting down with us and thank you for walking us through this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.